2: Seven weeks ago, Russia invaded Ukraine. Six weeks ago, Western nations banded together and imposed some of the harshest financial sanctions the world had ever seen that caused Russia's currency, the ruble, to plummet in value.
3: Western sanctions have uh, sent the value of the Russian ruble plummeting.
1: We had seen the ruble fall about 30%. And, and they were are hearing 160,
3: 170 rubles for a dollar.
1: So uh, it's really an absolute collapse. Since then,
2: Western nations have only ratcheted up the pressure on Russia's economy. But that pressure seems to have, well, not had so much of an impact on the ruble. By some measures, the ruble was actually the world's best-performing currency in March. Now, President Vladimir Putin is saying that this is proof that Western sanctions, which he calls a blitzkrieg, have failed.
4: на который рассчитывали наши недоброжелатели, он, конечно, не состоялся. Это очевидно. And
2: that the Russian economy and its financial system is quite firmly on its feet. бы не выросла центрального банка до But as ever with Russia, appearances can be quite deceiving. You're listening to Money Talks from The Economist, our weekly podcast on the markets, the economy, and the world of business. I'm Mike Bird, and in today's show, we unpack just what is
0: happening with the Russian ruble. We definitely don't believe that the ruble has recovered fully as uh, quoted exchange rates suggest.
2: We'll also find out why the ruble has been so important to Russian leaders.
1: Russians have lost out many times in the course of the 20th century from the ruble being revalued.
3: And we'll look at what trouble further sanctions could pose for the currency. It would be very hard to imagine the ruble being able to sustain its current level if any kind of comprehensive oil and gas sanctions were imposed. But first, we're going to go on a bit of a journey.
2: Okay, so this is a bit of a gimmick, but we wanted to know just how easy it is right now to get your hands on some rubles. So we sent our producer, Sam Westram, who is based in London, off with £20 of The Economist's money and a mission.
4: When my editor, Kim Gittelson, asked me to go and get some rubles, I thought it would be tricky but not impossible. In slight despair about what my job requires me to do, I got on my laptop and I started to have a look around. Okay, rubles, I, where on earth? So my first thought was apps. There's a bunch of them. They let you change money instantly. I've used them to travel abroad before. I thought this could be a great way to start. Transferwise, I've used them before. Oh, no, sorry. The company formerly known as Transferwise. I should be able to do it here. Just gonna have a look. Choose a currency russian ruble there it is enter an amount i would like one thousand rubles Ah. i can't add this right now my first hurdle i just wanted to check that i wasn't being stupid so i got on the phone to them
2: having higher than usual
4: call volume and waiting time can be up to one hour Ooh. To... and this is the exact moment where my search really starts to fall apart spoiler alert i have spent a lot of time on the phone specifically i spent a lot of time on the phone on hold i have heard a huge variety of hold music i did eventually get an answer from them no rubles so i tried somewhere else cmc markets they're an online trading platform Hi there, yeah. Um, I'm just having a little bit of trouble trying to access a currency. I was wondering whether I could ask you whether it's still trading. I'm trying to get hold of some Russian rubles. I was wondering whether... No, US... Russian
0: rubles and um, not, uh, I believe, uh, I think we cannot
1: trade anything
4: which is Russia related. Okay. No rubles there. I tried somewhere else, TUI. They're a European travel agency and currency exchange.
3: Unfortunately, no, you cannot
4: Okay, so if I, if I got the currency card, I wouldn't be able to uh, exchange Try into back. rubles. Okie dokie. Okay, no worries, I will, keep, I will keep looking. No rubles there. I called around a dozen places in total, no rubles at all, and this is around about the time where I started to lose faith in the entire exercise. I've got to say, the excitement of this task has certainly worn off by now, um... I've been on hold a lot and nobody is going to sell me any, I can feel it. It was pretty clear to me that getting hold of them was way more difficult than I had clearly thought when I set out. The usual suspects who I thought would help me out immediately, the travel money exchange bureaus, the online forex platforms, they wouldn't budge, no rubles there. But I did have one last roll of the dice. Okay, I have come to the local currency exchange. It's kind of the middle of the day, there's a lot of people here, it's quite busy. But uh, well, I think I'm gonna try and see if I can actually get some rubles in person. Get hold of some. Hi there, yeah. Um, do you do currency exchange? Currency exchange? What
1: exchange? What currency you
4: have? Currency have? Uh, I'm looking to get hold of some um, rubles. Which countries? Russia.
1: No, we don't have
4: any. You don't have any? I was really ready to call it a day right here, go back to my editor, take the feat like a champ, move on, do something useful. But the man behind the cash register said, hold on a minute, he went off to go and make a phone call. No, that's OK, I can give you time. And then he came back.
1: 251,000. Yeah. sorry. Yes,
4: I was in business. I was a bit shocked to be in business, but I made a quick trip back home to grab my ID and back to the store to buy a much more reasonable £20 worth. Who's next, please?
0: Right
4: there. Um, could I get hold of those rubles, please? £20 worth. 5 one and a half.
0: Incredible.
4: Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Right, there we go. 2,000 Russian rubles secured. Spent so long trying to get them, now I've got them. Uh... So, 2,000 rubles for 20 pounds. Uh, I actually didn't pay attention to the exchange rate. I was so focused on getting hold of them. My editor tells me that is actually a pretty good rate. It's closer to the rate I would have got had I tried this whole experiment before the war started. But since she is a taskmaster, she told me that my job wasn't over yet. I had to find a way to get rid of them. So I got back on the phone. I called the post office. They do currency exchange. Hi there. I'm good. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I'm just inquiring. I'm trying to sell some, uh, some travel money. I'm trying to sell some Russian rubles, but I'm having some trouble on your website. Um, is this something that I could do?
2: Okay, in regards to the Russian revolt, we're actually not doing them at
0: the moment. They've been switched off currently.
4: Oh, okay. Um, do, do you know when they might be switched back on?
0: Not too sure. We haven't given any time frame at the moment. Um, I think they to... No, not at the moment, because due to the Russian crisis, uh, we uh, froze the possibility to deal with the Russian um, currency.
4: Okie dokie, that's, that's not a problem. I thought that might be the case. Um, I was just I was just checking. Uh, thanks so much, I'm going to keep looking. No worries. I wish you a great day, sir. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. If I had been sent out on this mission to buy euros or dollars or yen or rupees, this adventure would have taken somewhere in the region of 5 to 10 seconds, I'm guessing. And while my task of buying and selling rubles taught me that yes, it could be done, it wasn't exactly straightforward. And something tells me this isn't the type of transaction keeping the ruble out of trouble. Out of to-ruble. The ruble out of True, true Anyway, if buying it was hard, finding someone to buy it off me, that's proving even harder. And for those out there shifting huge quantities of it, that is probably even harder still.
2: What Sam discovered is a key point in understanding just what's happening with the ruble. There are stated exchange rates, sure, and you might even be able to buy slightly more than the £20 worth that Sam netted. But there is currently very little demand, And the transaction volumes for those big currency trades that you'd usually see are very low indeed. So while you can look at the posted exchange rates on something like Google Finance or a Bloomberg terminal if you're lucky, it's not clear exactly what that's telling us.
0: So I think, number one, you don't want to take at face value what's going on with the ruble. Unlike other currencies, the ruble basically is no longer a convertible currency.
2: Robin Brooks is the chief economist at the Institute of International Finance, the Global Association of the Finance Industry. He also had a past life as a forex trader. He's been examining just what is really happening with the ruble and Russia's economy more broadly. He said that one reason that the ruble isn't convertible has to do with what happened in the immediate aftermath of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That's when Western nations sanctioned the country's central bank preventing it from accessing its reserves of foreign currency.
0: When sanctions, Western sanctions, came along, and in particular the sanctions on the central bank, that was a huge shock to Russia's financial system. And whenever Russia has had big shocks in the past, you've had capital flights. So ordinary Russians pack up the suitcase, take the rubles, convert them into euros or dollars, and head out the door. Um, Because the central bank's reserves were sanctioned this time around, there was no room to accommodate that capital flight, and so Russia had to impose capital controls. So ruble's no longer convertible. There is big depreciation pressure on the currency. We don't see it because no one can take their cash out of the country.
2: Not being able to take rubles out of Russia is one reason that the ruble has remained strong. Another is that Russia's central bank increased interest rates initially from 9.5% all the way to 20% four days after the invasion began. Then, the head of Russia's central bank, Elvira Nabulina, cited foreign sanctions and the ruble exchange rate as a reason for the
0: hike. On
2: April 8th, the bank cut the rate to 17% as the ruble strengthened, Something Putin touted in that clip we heard earlier, saying it was a sign that macroeconomic conditions were improving. But again, that's not really the full
0: story. Separate from that, there is hard currency inflows into Russia, because obviously Russia is a big energy exporter, not just to Western Europe, but to the world. And energy prices, oil prices, natural gas prices have gone way up. Uh, It's a huge positive terms of trade shock for Russia. And so there is a steady inflow of hard currency. That is demand for rubles. And so net, net, both of these things are going on. I think you want to be skeptical at the prices that you're seeing. So your fellow employee who's busy buying rubles right now, I should probably have gone along and we can talk about the bid ask that he's getting right now. But I think net-net, there are these two forces at work, and it is the genuine hard currency inflow that is driving genuine ruble strength that I think is a policy issue for Western policymakers.
2: In other words, it's both that Russia has been attempting to control the ruble slide via capital controls and rate hikes, but also that a loophole in sanctions that allows for the purchase of Russian oil and gas means that hard currency is still pouring into the country which means that the real value of the ruble is anyone's guess.
0: Honestly, we have no idea. That's very difficult to know. We have a rough idea since we we can approximate how much oil Russia is exporting. So we have a rough idea how much hard currency is coming into the country. We know that Nord Stream 1 is basically running at capacity. So we can back out all kinds of hard currency inflows. We know that reserves have fallen uh, for the data that we have available. So we can back out roughly the amount of intervention, and that takes you roughly to a 50-50 split between the observed price and you know the quoted price.
2: But the contrast to other countries that have seen big economic shocks makes the ruble's relative strength particularly interesting. In places like Argentina or Turkey, the value of the local currency has declined to a far greater extent during moments of market panic even without any sort of sanctions in place. But that doesn't mean that the sanctions against Russia aren't working.
0: Sanctions, first of all, have been incredibly effective. And the best illustration of that is the fact that Russia had to impose capital controls, right? That's not something that any policymaker wants to do, because you're basically telling people, hey, there's an issue with your money. You can't convert it right now. And by the way, your savings may not be worth very much. So that's a big hit to Putin's popularity and will cost him, no question.
2: The real reason that the ruble has stayed strong-ish has to do with the nature of Russia's economy. It's a current account surplus country. What does that mean? A current account is the broad measure of the money a country makes from overseas. Turkey buys more goods and services from other countries than it sells back to them. That gives it a deficit. In Russia's case, it's the massive sales of oil and gas to Europe and the rest of the world that give it a surplus. Effectively, that means that Russia usually has no shortage of foreign currency coming in, particularly U.S. dollars. Even with the sanctions, the country's current account surplus is only growing.
0: So the sanctions that we've levied, especially on the central bank reserves, they make it hard for Russia to access the cash that it's saved. But guess what? It's still generating a ton of cash every day. John McCain, the late senator, returned from Ukraine in 2015 after the annexation of Crimea. And he had this quote, which I think is just so to the point. Russia is a gas station masquerading as a country. It's kleptocracy. It's corruption. It's." a nation that is really only dependent upon oil and gas for their economy. And so what our sanctions have done, to to use that analogy, is they have made it harder for the gas station to transact. They have seized the cash that the gas station saved. So that's the freezing of the CBR reserves. We've not shut down the gas station. And so that's really where the energy embargo discussion now comes in. The Europeans are kind of tiptoeing towards that with the coal import ban. But the big thing outstanding is oil and obviously gas.
2: And those outstanding sanctions, we'll get to them just after this break. Now, before we look at what sanctions on the horizon could do to the ruble and Russia's economy more broadly, I wanted to take a step back, way back, all the way back to the last time Russia defaulted on its foreign debt. On the Russian front, the war dragged on for just as long as Private Ivan abandoned In 1917.
1: One of the things that happened after the Russian Revolution is that, of course, the Bolsheviks tried to get rid of the ruble. Christy
2: Ironside is an assistant professor of Russian history at McGill University.
1: One of the ways they did it was by using the printing press. They printed so much money that it removed its value. This was their logic. The Bolshevik economist Yevgeny preobrazhensky thought that they could use the printing press as a, quote, machine gun strafing the bourgeois order. Print so much money, in other words, that it has absolutely no value anymore. But they also quickly realized that this was a terrible idea because, of course, they hadn't thought of what the substitute for the ruble was going to be.
2: Although the Bolsheviks tried a few things, like bartering or corresponding value to literally the amount of energy expended by the working body, in the end, they realized they couldn't get rid of money. So
1: they reformed the ruble. So by 1921, 1922, the Bolsheviks had already realized they couldn't get rid of money, and therefore they reformed the ruble. So you have the first currency reform that takes place in 1924, it just takes place over a couple of years before this in, in stages. But what they were trying to do there was to stabilize it and give it value. And thereafter, the ruble is really something that is integral to the Soviet system from that point onward. There's no serious discussion of getting rid of money for the remainder of the Soviet period.
2: But then, of course, things did change dramatically in 1989. The economic transition to capitalism created all sorts of problems for the ruble. At least once it was finally the sole currency of Russia.
1: As the Soviet Union breaks apart, you have multiple states all using the ruble as their currency.
0: Kiev's boldest economic experiment so far, the introduction of an interim
4: currency, the coupon, in order to protect their market from Russia, has been a flop.
1: A coupon is now worth less than a ruble, and people line the street in central Kiev selling coupons for rubles. And it takes them a couple of years to kick them off the currency, to kick them off the ruble. So this is one of the first problems that they have. They finally do that by 1993. But the ruble, it fluctuates in value. There's all kinds of problems with inflation. Um, Lots of people during this time period, the 1990s, they preferred to transact or to save in foreign currencies because they were more stable.
3: Outside in the streets of Moscow, further evidence of the economic problems. The ruble has lost another 10% of its value. And today it was still falling.
1: And actually, even though it became illegal, you weren't supposed to do this, but you would have prices listed in two different sets of prices in dollars or in rubles, because people were very worried about the value of the ruble fluctuating and losing out. At the Mint in Moscow, the first of the super rubles rolls from the press. For the Russian economy, this print run is crucial. The US dollar has become almost half the money circulating here. These bills are the government's latest weapon in the battle to keep the ruble as Russia's main currency. And then of course you have an escalating balance of payments problem by the end of the decade. So around 1998, um, Russia, there's a combination of factors that cause it, but Russia almost defaults. It, It sort of domestically does default on its debt It almost defaults on its foreign debt. And that causes the ruble to collapse once again.
2: This history of collapse has impacted generations of Russians, as well as President Vladimir Putin, who has made stabilizing the ruble one of his key economic objectives.
1: Well, one of the things that happened when Vladimir Putin came to power is he promised to stabilize the overall economic situation. So one thing he did to do that was he created a stabilization fund and started pouring the profits from oil revenue into that so that the government had this kind of, you know, rainy day fund in some ways so that if the currency started being very volatile, fluctuating wildly, they could stabilize it, they could intervene to stabilize it. And this is something that they've done repeatedly over the course of the Putin period.
2: Most recently, before the Ukraine crisis, Putin actually did this in 2014 in the wake of the Russian invasion of Crimea. I
1: was actually in Russia at the time. (laughs) remember this very well. Um, The ruble collapsed that day and I I tried to go to a bank machine and pull out dollars and was not able to do it. Um, So I remember very vividly walking down um, one of the main uh, boulevards, walking down Prospect Mira in Moscow and looking at the currency exchanges all along the road there and just seeing many of them just had zero, 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 zero. like They they had no, the the exchange rate was just gone that day. Um, But what they did then was they bought bad rubles with good foreign currency from this big rainy day fund which they no longer have access to or not as much of it anymore because of the sanctions
2: which is why as robin told us earlier putin and his central bankers have resorted to other mechanisms to try and prop up the ruble professor ironside says this makes sense given russian economic and political history
1: well, currencies are always important politically. They're a symbol of the strength of your economy on some level. Um, and having a weak ruble, having a ruble that has no purchasing power abroad, this is in many ways a, a kind of tangible symbol of what's going wrong in your economy. So I think there is a real symbolic aspect to trying to keep the ruble up in the way that they have in recent weeks. Um, but of course, the problem is that the ruble's exchange rate, it doesn't mean a lot in practice. In the Soviet period, you had the same dilemma, actually. In the Soviet Union, you had this artificially good exchange rate, but that meant something only really for tourists. It meant nothing for domestic citizens because they couldn't buy dollars with rubles. That was holding foreign currencies was actually illegal for most of the Soviet period. So it meant nothing tangibly to you to have this. But symbolically, it meant, you know, we have a strong currency, a valuable currency, and all of the rest. So I think it's a similar dynamic that we're seeing now.
2: We've looked at why the ruble has stabilised and the reasons Vladimir Putin wants it to stay that way, economically and historically. But in the West, Russia's currency is still very much in the crosshairs. In America, more than a dozen sanctions-related congressional bills are doing the rounds, and in Europe, conversations are underway to limit EU energy imports from Russia. But just how likely are any further sanctions? To find out more, I spoke with our special assignments editor, Matthew Valencia, who's been looking at what could be coming next for Russia. So Matthew, do you think more sanctions are on the way?
3: There's a sense across the West, especially in light of the reports that we've seen of the atrocities in Ukraine, the, the horrific war crimes that have, have come to light, that you know, more has to be done to hit the economy, to hit Russia's economy. And any further sanctions or combination of sanctions... sure to have some kind of detrimental impact on the position of the ruble? So for the
2: ruble specifically, we've sort of discussed the importance of the fact that Russia's a major energy exporter um, to the fact that the, the ruble's still relatively strong. It's certainly a lot stronger now than it was a couple of weeks ago. If we talk through a few of the options on the table for continued sanctions, the one on paper that looks like it would have the most immediate impact on Russia is on European energy imports and sanctions happening in that area. What's being floated on that front?
3: That is the big one. You're right. The EU last week agreed that it would block imports of coal, but coal makes up only about four or five percent of total hydrocarbon exports from Russia to the EU. And the other thing is that they're phasing it in, so or, or, or phasing out perhaps would be more, more appropriate. So there's a four-month period over which the coal exports will be wound down to nothing. So that's a fairly modest measure. And you know the problem that the bloc has, or at least some members of the bloc, is they're just such big importers of, of Russian energy that they would have very big problems if you know oil and gas exports were cut straight away. That said, there, there's clearly growing, growing pressure from the countries that would like to see this and from the European Commission on the countries which are dragging their feet to accept some sort of economic pain or more economic pain to make it happen. So, you know, it's quite striking that we've seen various people coming out in recent days talking about the need to go further. And it was striking when a former advisor to Vladimir Putin said quite recently that a full oil and gas embargo could in fact end the war. Do you get the impression that this is
2: something that we're actually likely to see? What do you think the sort of probabilities are here of these uh, much more,
3: you know, uh, expansive efforts even beyond what we've seen so far? Well, as I said, there's lots of talk, but not too much action at the moment. An energy ban was discussed informally at a meeting of EU ministers, foreign ministers on April the 11th. Uh, It wasn't actually a formal part of the agenda, but they continue to talk about it, but it, it feels like it may be a little way off. There are some other ideas. There's one coming from the US at the moment, which is to look at the situation in Iran, essentially to use the Iran playbook. And what happened with Iran was... But there were several countries which were unhappy about the the oil sanctions which were being pushed particularly by the United States against Iran. This was just over a decade ago. And they were worried that it was going to leave them short of oil. So what America did was it, it sort of sat down with them and developed a workaround. And what that entailed essentially was that countries could continue to buy Iranian oil as long as they promised that they would try to reduce their reliance on that oil over time. And then instead of going to Iran, the payments that were made for the oil went into escrow accounts in in banks in other countries. Now, why would Iran do this? Well, one reason was it was permitted to use a portion of that money that was stuck in escrow for what's known as approved bilateral trade, and that was in non-sensitive goods such as consumables, you know, everything from from you know toothpaste to to food products. And one lawyer I spoke to for the latest article I've written on this described it as being like a kind of pocket money for Iran, that they were able to sort of spend a certain amount of the money straight away. The rest of it sat in escrow, and in fact a lot of it remains in escrow. So that might sort
2: of you can see how that would support the ruble, even though it sounds a little bit sort of humiliating for a would-be global power. I mean, is that something that you get the impression that Russia would even contemplate, something analogous to the Iran situation? I think
3: Russia would be very unlikely to accept an identical arrangement. However, there are certain ways in which it could be sweetened, and one that's been discussed, at least informally, is some sort of quid pro quo, where, you know, if Russia accepted it, it might have access to some of the high-tech items that are currently blocked under export controls. So that wouldn't be things which were, you know, had a military application or a dual-use application. And that's something I think that Russia would probably look at and would make it a bit less reluctant to sign up to something like that. But these things can be very controversial, and especially if you have secondary sanctions involved where, Um, third parties, third countries are are caught by sanctions for for trading with Russia. On the other hand, you know, there are different ways of doing secondary sanctions. So you can be explicit in in the measures and push them forward as actual sanctions, or you can take a a more implicit, softer approach by just leaning on other countries. And we've seen this already with Russia, where American officials, for instance, were recently in, in India And they're understood to have raised the issue with the Indians who have been reluctant to condemn Russia for the war in Ukraine and continue to to trade a lot with it. So, you know, when America sort of turns up and says, look, you should be careful about the trade that you're doing with Russia, that's something that other countries are going to listen to because they've seen the experience with Iran and with North Korea and with others. So, you know, in that case, it may not require explicit sanctions to get the message across to countries such as India. You mentioned the
2: the Indian government uh, and and the sort of reluctance to uh, potentially play along with the the US and European sanctions in particular. If we look all the way at the other side of the ledger, away from uh, what further action against Russia might do, on the more speculative end, there's been a lot of discussion about uh, the role that China could play in keeping uh, Russia's economy going, in evading in or, or blunting some of the sanctions and potentially uh, sort of keeping the value of the ruble propped up. What's your take on on the sort of role that China might play here?
3: Yeah, well, it's a huge question. And obviously China has has signaled that it will keep trading with Russia. It's offered tacit support for Vladimir Putin. And it also has... A long history of circumventing Western sanctions. You know, we saw this with Iran. We've seen it with North Korea, and in other cases. And how it's tended to do that is to use smaller financial institutions, small Chinese banks, which are are seen as a bit more dispensable to do that trading with those economies. Those banks have ended up being sanctioned by the West, but that hasn't mattered so much to China because. They don't have connections with with the big Western financial centres, unlike the very big Chinese banks. Now, there's a big question here about whether China could achieve the same thing with Russia, because, you know, it's a much larger economy. It's more globally connected. It's the world's 11th largest economy, many times bigger than the Iranian economy, for instance. So it's likely to be harder, I think, to pull off without some sort of collateral damage to larger financial institutions in China, uh, for instance. So, you know, when it comes to saving the ruble for Xi Jinping and the Chinese government, that may just be a, a friendly gesture too far. So, Matthew, the sort of trillion-dollar question here, I
2: guess, if, if we're using a sort of crystal ball, is, is what's genuinely going to happen? The value of the ruble right now seems sort of very intricately tied to this question of european consumption of, of russian oil and gas and what's going to happen there what is the impression you get of what the likely outcome is
3: well i think even if there aren't any further sanctions you know we, we, we've seen a lot so far and they're going to sort of work their way through the system through the russian economy over the coming weeks and, and months and they will have a an impact you know i think they'll they'll put further downward pressure on the currency The big question is whether we see comprehensive uh, energy sanctions. And if we do, that's bound to have a bigger impact and push the ruble down a lot further, I think. You know, we're we're already seeing some impact from lesser measures. So that really would be massive, I think. And it would be very hard to imagine the ruble being able to sustain its current level if any kind of comprehensive oil and gas sanctions were, were imposed. Matthew Valencia, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks
2: very much, Mike. The ruble may have been the world's best performing currency in March, but that exchange rate hides the massive shifts inside the Russian economy happening beneath the surface. Whatever happens next, its rises and falls are just one part of the big story of an increasingly isolated Russia. Our thanks today to Robin Brooks and Christy Ironside. Thank you for listening to Money Talks. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, or write to us at podcasts at economist.com. And to find all of our coverage of the Ukraine war, including a look at what the cost of rebuilding the country will be, you can subscribe to The Economist. We've got a special introductory offer. Just go to economist.com slash podcast offer or click on the link in the show notes. This week's show is produced by Sam Westron, our sound engineer with Saul Rivers. And the show's editor was Kim Gittelson. I'm Mike Bird in Singapore, and this is The Economist.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?